0: All right, welcome back to Buffalo Bread Podcast. This is the game uh, six recap show. We're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants and what was a miserable rumping snooze fest, and I did not enjoy it. Dan, h- how did you do with that?
1: Um, I needed, I needed a health and safety check. After that game, I'm not going to lie. You know, and it's, but we should have known something was going to go crazy because week six in the NFL was crazy. No more undefeated teams, substandard teams playing out of their minds this particular week. And something that I think we underrated JJ in our pregame assessment of how this game would go was the familiarity factor between yes. not just Dayball and Allen, but so many folks. In, in East Rutherford, New Jersey, headquarters of the New Jersey Giants, that just know Josh Allen, know Sean McDermott, and know how that Bills team likes to operate. This divisional games are always weird. I mean, I think that's a, a staple because you see these teams so many times, multiple times over the course of a season. This felt like a divisional game to me where there was so much familiarity on both sides of the ball that I think we underrated what impact that would have in our pregame. And I don't think that explains everything about how that game went. I do think there's some definite systemic deficiencies that the Bills need to address, particularly on offense. But I think when you weight the factors of why that game was so competitive, familiarity has to rank in the top two or three for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I was texting you throughout the entire game, especially the first half when the Bills' offense was stymied at kind of every turn, and I was just like, that's it, you know. Dorsey doesn't know what he's doing. Dable literally, it, it's Dable's playbook. Dorsey just changed the names of some of the plays and copied and pasted most of the formations. Um, we're do- we're doomed. We're doomed. Because it felt that way. They were leading throughout the entire game up to the fourth quarter, um, and it was you know somewhat disturbing that they could not get anything done. They were force-feeding Stephon Diggs, and uh, it seemed like the Giants' defense, Martindale knew what was what was happening and it it was literally just Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs chemistry and Stefan Diggs excellent route running ability that kept him getting receptions because they were doing everything they could to erase him from the field um he was overcoming it which was just impressive um but it was you know they definitely knew what what and how to uh, apply pressure to Josh Allen to make him double clutch and and second guess some things and they tried to erase most of the route combinations that uh that the Bills like to go to when they really need to get their their offense going. I think also we saw a precipitous drop of 12 personnel in this game without Kincaid in the lineup and was somewhat to be expected. Uh but that's been a good uh, their best formation to pass out of or their best alignment to pass out of and they they did not weren't able to hit that as much. Um it was a it was a weird game and I think that You know, I was really impressed most of the time with the Buffalo Bills defense. I was really disappointed in the Buffalo Bills offense, and I wonder how much of that is. You know, Dable literally built Josh Allen. He knows all of his weaknesses.
1: Yeah, it's... and I don't know that we're going to ever get any definitive answers until they, they do the 30 for 30 on <laughs> McDermott and Dayball's relationship in and out of or Buffalo. Did you, did you see that? Shit. It, yes. Did you see that post game handshake yes. or lack thereof? Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my Might God. they well
0: just flipped each other the bird as they walked past. Cause it was, I, that was as loving as the handshake quote unquote that they had.
1: <laughs> I was half expecting it to go WWE and like Dayball just all of a sudden give McDermott the stone cold stunner <laughs> right, in the middle yeah, of the field. No, like <laughs> (laughs)
0: spun around as if he got beat but grabbed a chair like just
1: no love lost there no No. love lost and you know it was interesting too we're we're gonna get into we'll we'll get into the stats and we'll get into the observations but the vibes on this game were very much so buffalo bills kansas city chiefs afc championship game back in 2021 i think it was um where it was clear from the get-go, dude, we had our first flag in this game yeah. or flags before the first snap even occurred. Oh, I know. Looks so like it was, it, it, it was so a kickoff. It they was, right? And, fighting. Yeah. and it was it was really clear that the the Giants wanted to get under the skin of the Buffalo Bills. They wanted to get them off their game. They wanted to yep. play with an edge. And that translated to particularly to their defensive alignments and a lot of the quote-unquote sticky coverage, i.e. we're just going to okay. P.I. every time down the field until someone flags us for it in strategy, which Spagnolo is so, so well known for rolling out against these Buffalo Bills. And Stefan Diggs is a lot of thing things. He's a terrible actor. Like, I went back and I watched some of his routes oh, and he yeah. dude is literally getting, it's amazing he was open as much as he was because yeah. the dude is literally getting mugged. And I'm like, dude, flop. Or like, right. hold up an arm. Act right. like Act, I don't care how much you have to embellish, but these guys are mugging you. Draw you're a star. Draw some attention from the referees you to what they're doing for you. Yeah. See, this is something Kincaid is really good at. And I don't know if he's got like a soccer player <laughs> it, like experience in his background, but yeah. Kincaid is really good at flopping and drawing yeah. flags. <laughs> right. I, I think Diggs needs to learn some of that because d- dude was getting mugged. But but I definitely got those vibes. The Giants wanted to come in and try to bully the Buffalo Bills mentally and physically as much as they possibly could to get the Bills off their game. And I think we have seen like Christian Wilkins does this too for yeah. for Miami. Like he jaws he's a lot with Christian Wilkins e- exactly because he he's such a turd. He's such a winners. turd. He does. He's yeah. that dude is such a turd and. But like you saw it with Thibodeau too, like when Dawkins ended up getting flagged for that unsportsmanlike conduct, the stuff that was going on in those piles was like beyond what normally happens in an NFL game. So, so, so statistical observations, film observations aside, it was really clear that the Giants knew they were coming in as underdogs and they were going to try to play some sort of mental edge in order to try to gain some sort of upper hand on the bills. And there, there were points where. It looked like it was working pretty effectively, yeah. especially early on, and you combine that with the defensive aggressiveness of Martindale, his ability to mix where pressure was coming from, um, simulate pressure, then drop out of pressure. I think we saw what te- saw very frequently what happened tends to happen with Josh when you when you start like that. It was effective for a time, and then yeah. Josh eventually was figuring it out and figuring it out. But again, and we're going to talk about this, I don't think the play sequencing, which is a theme that we're carrying over from our analysis of the Jaguar game, I don't think the play sequencing maximized Josh's ability to exploit what Wink Martindale was doing defensively. To to put it in short, I think Martindale probably outcoached, um, out-coached Dorsey in yes. this particular game. Yep. And it, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, you, oh, you rep. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I was just going to say that that's absolutely right. I think that, the application of pressure and blitz looks at exactly the right time and Dorsey not having anything really dialed up to counter them. And then also the uh, the ability to kind of add different coverage schemes on the back end to bungle up what the Bills like to do most. Dorsey wasn't really coaching his way out of those conflicts. You know, Martindale was doing a good job of taking away basically the, the reads that Josh Allen likes to make the most and uh Dorsey wasn't finding any different answers for him it took him a little while to to scheme past it and he i mean i think we've seen now a trend that the buffalo bills abandon the run a way too often i think yeah you know, right. you know, when they're when they're looking to get things going on offense they t- try to sprinkle in too many passes i think and and anybody watching can see it that like even though the the run was cooking a little bit for you know the first in the first half on a couple of those drives they get a first down then they throw two passes and it'd be third and 10. And then one of those exotic blitz looks or simulated pressure looks that was really throwing Josh Allen off would come up and you know, that, that drive is done. I also thought it was, you know, it it was pretty clear early on that. Like, even if it was, even if they did a great job of selling it as unintentional, the whole tripping, they tripped multiple receivers, (laughs) multiple big plays where those, those receivers for the bills would have been wide open. And to the point where it's like, is this a strategy, right? Like just make it look like you're getting your fingers or your uh, feet tangled up because they weren't looking at the ball at all. There are those, those plays. Yeah. yeah.
1: How, how incompetent can you look, right? Right. Um, but, but you mentioned something about the run game and, and I think that's a great way to segue into some of our more, uh, salient observations of this particular game. So I I was trying to make this game make sense because from a, a statistical standpoint, these two teams could not have been further apart in every metric success rate, DVO, DVOA, EPA, uh, wins and losses, point differential, you name it. And the Buffalo Bills are a, were a superior team to this Giants team um, in a lot of different ways. And yet the Giants still made it a close game. And, and yes, a lot of it was coaching, some of it was just pure moxie for some of these backups that were playing for the, for the Giants. But again, and i don't know if this is my my arrogance as a bills fan in this area i don't know if i've got a blind spot to this but i feel more often than not that when the bills find themselves in games like this they are in fact um they are in fact beating themselves so jj i'm going to run through some really quick observations here um which i think for the most part will showcase that this game was a reversion, at least from my mind, back to 2022 habits and predictability that had sunk the Bills last season. So you had, the, you had mentioned the lack of use of 12 personnel. So this has been a staple of the Bills this year. Now, granted, Kincaid was out, and Quentin Morris is not the same type of receiving threat that Kincaid is. Although, although if you had Quentin Morris' anytime touchdown score and you would bet a dollar on it, you'd have won three grand. Because I'm pretty sure his odds were like plus 350,000 to score. He hadn't been targeted at all this season. Right. And his only target was a touchdown. So if you were a Quentin Morris anytime touchdown score, email the pod and tell yes. me how I should play my money this weekend. <laughs> okay, Tell me
0: what a, a single single parlay should be for any right. game. Yeah.
1: Right, but it was, it was interesting. It was interesting because Kincaid has not been used a lot in the past game. So one would think that they would still utilize 12 personnel because they've installed it to such great success in the playbook, but they didn't. They went to 11 personnel on over 80% of their snaps. 81% to be exact of their snaps ran out of 11 personnel. For the season heading into this game, they only run 11 personnel on 57% of their snaps. In this game, they only ran 12 personnel, JJ, for 8% of their total snaps. What it this leads to, and we have said this again and again and again, is the predictability of this offensive play sequencing that allows other coaches and defensive coordinators to key in on what the Bills were, Bills want to do. And, and, and this J.J. is where I will. So I'm, a, I'm not a, trying to be a Dorsey apologist. I think his play sequencing and personnel package management needs to improve, but his overall scheme for what he's trying to do play to play. Like, when you watch it, some of it makes sense. Like, for example, Uh out of 11 personnel, Dorsey was running, scheming up these very nice mesh concepts where you've got Davis running a clear out. You've got Knox in as your primary tight end. You've got Shakir or Hardy in the slot. And then you've got Diggs on the other side. Diggs was commanding double coverage pretty much the whole game. So you know that when you run Diggs out there, you're going to get a bracket of a safety and a cornerback. The clear-out route that Davis is running is designed, especially when defeating zone, to have the opposing cornerback trail him for a bit and then pass him off to the safety. You then flash at various levels, digs, knocks, and whoever your slot receiver is, Hardy, in a lot of cases, Shakir in a lot of other cases, across the middle at various levels, and that's a basic mesh concept. And Shakir and Hardy and Knox found themselves open many, many times. But early on, this concept wasn't working because of the pressure that the Giants were successful enough in getting. So the issue early on wasn't necessarily the concepts or the scheme, if you will. But once Josh began to assimilate and find some of these looks, Dorsey had already turtled back into himself and gone to his his typical play-calling tendencies which made the Buffalo Bills offense predictable, i.e. 81% 11 personnel in this game.
0: And I think that that's the kind of thing that, you know, that's the kind of thing that you hope he grows from. I mean, this is his second year as an offensive play caller in the NFL. But, you know, it's also really concerning because it's like we, we the Buffalo Bills, that team does not have time to wait for him to get better at play calling, right? Like, they are playing high-stakes games now. They're playing them in a few weeks in the the middle of their schedule, extre- extremely hard opponents several weeks in a row, and they can't afford to have Dorsey scheming um, repetitive, predictive looks for two or three or four drives against the Chiefs, against the Bengals, who are probably going to find their footing, against the Eagles, against teams that are kind of a higher caliber. Um, they play the Cowboys, don't they?
1: Oh yeah, we play the Cowboys. Yeah. We, we've got a we've That's got a murderer's row murderer's here bro. at the end of the season. But honestly, we might not even have to wait for that because this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense okay. that we're going to be playing on Thursday night—it's a pretty good defense, and their ability to take away the middle of the field with Devin White—this is going to be it's going to be interesting for Dorsey to try to try to figure out. But you know, Dorsey just continues to play into the hands of opposing coaches. They want him to go away from some of these concepts. They want Josh to funnel targets to digs, which is we're getting to my next observation here, right? They want this offense to become predictable. And Dorsey is, Dorsey is accommodating them. You know, he's accommodating them. And then you can see these moments in the game where Josh figures out what's going on, but Dorsey has not yet. I mean, Josh sounded exasperated at the end of this game. No one on that offense... seemed to be on the same page with the coaching staff. And it wasn't just the personnel on the play calling. I mean, why the hell was Latavius Murray starting that game in place of James Cook? I, McDermott's comment at the end of the game was all we wanted to see what the offense would look like with him. With a 33-year-old running journeyman running back, yeah. I think we know. Like it, I think we know what that would look like. So if they were trying to send a message to Cook for his minus 4 rushing yards, like hey kid, hit the holes quicker. That is what it is, but that seemed like a pretty dramatic statement to make. And to me, it signaled that maybe McDermott and Dorsey weren't taking the Giants as seriously as they should have.
0: Well, and also, why are the Bills on the one yard line Throw, you know, doing a draw play from shot? Just none of those. You have a six foot five um, water Buffalo as your quarterback, and you're just going, you're going to do a shotgun draw handoff like what is happening it
1: just it makes no sense thurman yeah. thomas tweeted about that i yeah, think that. i think his son was tweeting like these sh- these second down shotgun runs need to go and thomas yes. was like you said a kid right now in fairness the co- the cover one guys that they've got because they always do and if you yeah. if you're listening to us you should also listen to the cover one yes, guys they're, they're incredible right they're absolutely incredible but they you know, Dorsey, Dorsey has, has been asked now on multiple times about what is with these second and nine second and 10 yeah. shotgun handoffs to the running back. And he's like, well, you know, we're trying to keep teams honest. And the cover one guys translate that into teams are continuing to disrespect us on the run on second down. They're playing two high shells on second and long. Daring us to pass and pushing
0: the outside hard. Exactly.
1: Yeah, pinning their ears back.
0: Knowing we can't do like a really solid run play up the seam in the middle of their defense. Correct.
1: Correct. Right. So he's like, so some of these things that Dorsey is trying to do theoretically and philosophically, they make some sense. Just the execution looks or is absolutely putrid. Right. So, and so, yeah.
0: Well, and I think at least a little bit of it, you know, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morse, neither of them is an excellent straightforward road grading run blocker. Right. That's not their, that is not their bread and butter. That's why the Bills look so good with the the tackle trap when they actually bring Dion through the hole behind Osiris Torrance. That play, look, play works. But that is an under center, normal handoff where one of the running backs has a full head of seam when they hit the line. They can pick their lane and go. Um the thing that I think, you know, I don't mind running on second and 10. I mind a shotgun draw play on second and 10, which is all I'd, I'd love to see a statistic where the from that alignment in that position with that play call, the bills get more than negative two yards because yeah. it seems like every single time it's negative two
1: yards. And I don't I don't even know that it it intended to be a draw? I think the problem is when you run out of shotgun, the it ball just, it is, is. It, the ball is in the air. It's yeah. not. The QB taking it from under center and then running it back to the running back who is yeah. running at him. Everybody's got to stand the F still while that ball gets from the center in air to the QB, to right?
0: The QB to the hands of the running back. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. But JJ, the, this is this is such a great segue. I don't know if you're you're in my head or not, but this is such a great segue into my second observation: the jumbo set runs that Dorsey was happy to call on like six of his first eight run calls at the beginning of the game, and then. Two of the final three play calls on the final Buffalo Bills offensive drive of the game. So last year, we knew the Buffalo Bills had an inability to get any push on the offensive line, i.e. the Bobby Hart package, right? Enter Bobby Hart and these big jumbo six offensive line packages where Hart reports in as an eligible receiver. I don't know how many times you heard that last year. Number 68 reporting in as eligible, eligible receiver. So... With the the addition of this twelve personnel rollout that the Bills have been so successful in installing, these jumbo sets by and large have gone away. But as was the theme of this game, hitting hitting the the the, the greatest hits of twenty twenty two in the Ken Dorsey playbook, these jumbo sets with now David Edwards playing the the role of Bobby Hart made an ugly ugly return to this game, and. These sets, the reason they didn't work last year is because you're announcing to the opposing team what it is you're going to do. No one thinks that you're going to leak out Bobby Hart or David Edwards all of a sudden and then use them as an eligible receiver at any length of the field. So you're limiting the amount of route runners that you have out there and you're telegraphing to the other 11 guys on the other side of the ball what you're going to do. Even the most depleted, poorest coach off defenses will key in. When you are telegraphing to them what it is your intent was. And Dorsey reverted to his 2022 self by rolling out these packages again. I mean, JJ, that final drive was jumbo set for no gain. Jumbo set for, I think, two yards. And then we're at third and eight. And the Bills, I have no problem with them calling the pass to Knox. But I could have predicted what was going to happen. Yes, Knox was going to drop it. And listen, to their credit, Both Allen and Knox have taken blame for why that was. Josh probably could have thrown a better ball, but that is a ball we have seen Knox reel in more often than not. Knox makes the drop. The decision to go for the field goal I disagree with. I think you have an anemic offense on the other side of the field. I think you punt and you pin them down, and then the clock and the length of field are your friend. But McDermott decided to to go for it with a fairly reliable Tyler Bass. Bass misses it and then like i was watching that freaking minnesota vikings game from last oh, yeah. year yeah. the giants take a short field penalty penalty on the bills yeah. gets them to the one yard line for an untimed down and thank god for taryn johnson and thank oh, god for gosh. those the thank god for those refs eating their flags on that particular yes. play
0: well that play could have easily been called for a penalty um but I think that, you know, it also could have been called against Darren Waller for his hands to the face. Exactly. Against Johnson. That could have been offensive pass interference the, the two seconds before the you know, jersey grab. On top of that, it was not a really perfectly, not a great thrown ball for somebody as tall as Darren Waller against somebody as short as Darren Johnson. I was shocked they threw it. Yeah, I was shocked that they threw it. it would have been a d- better, different you know trajectory on the ball. So like, I think there's some of that, too, is the ref kind of keeps his flag in his pocket because it's somewhat uncatchable. Uncut- but on top of that, I think the point comes down to like fans can whine all day and all they want. Like, they got a bad I think they got a bad beat. That call was one against them. They should have probably gotten a pass interference, another untimed down. Fine. But in Tara Johnson's defense, that's exactly the right play. I would Penalize the shit out of somebody, because if you let them have the touchdown, the game's over. Exactly. So just go for the go for the penalty. Stop that score because you give your, ch- your team another chance to stop the score.
1: Right. Your worst case scenario when you play when you play the ball like that or you play the opposing player like that is you get called for another penalty. Yep. The worst-case scenario, if you don't make that decision, is that you lose the game. They
0: catch the they catch the ball, you right. lose the game. Yeah. But,
1: I mean, J.J., how many times did we watch games last season, agonizing games, that didn't go in the Bills' favor, yes. that looked just like this? Where it was incompetence on offense, a defense that had literally been carrying that squad all game, finally breaks and, bo- and bows under the yep. pressure of the weight that they had been bearing for the— the, the 60 minutes that they had been on the field, like how many times had we seen that last year, not go in the bill's favor this, I, I was having literally having flashbacks to 2022, watching that final, yeah. that final play sequencing. And then JJ, my final observation from this, and then we'll get to some of the stuff that you want to cover um, because of all of this, because of the ineffectiveness of the run game, the predictability of the play calling Josh went to where Josh likes to go, which is Stefan Diggs. So Diggs on the season. Leads the league in target share for any wide receiver on any team. This includes Tyree Kill in Miami. But Stefan Diggs is vacuuming up third, over 33% of the Buffalo Bills' total target share this season, which leads the league. Credit to ESPN Stats and Info. In this game, credit to my calculator for me doing the hard math, he was targeted on 55.2% of the buff of Josh Allen's pass attempts. He had 16 total targets in this game. All other Bills' pass catchers were targeted 13 times. And on top of that, only six Buffalo Bills, including Diggs, caught a pass. We have talked ad nauseum about the need for Josh to play point guard, about the need for Josh to spread the ball around, because when he completes passes to seven or more wide receivers, the outcomes for the Buffalo Bills are much more positive than when he doesn't. And this happened just happened to be one, JJ, where they were playing an opponent that was so inept and so inferior on the offensive side of the ball that all of these bad habits that this team has been trying to erase from last season could rear their head, but the Bills could get away with it. I don't know, though, that against better teams coming down the pipeline here, I don't know that the Bills would be so fortunate in other circumstances. And again, against a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which has a much better defense and a much better offense than the New York Giants do.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I just think that, you know, another thing that's worth noting about the target share is you'd mentioned all the, the targets um, in terms of receptions, Diggs had 10 and everybody else combined had nine. And that's the, nutty. The top player being Gabe Davis with three. I don't think Gabe Davis had a single catch after he had that fumble. Um, maybe at one. So it's just, we saw too many mistakes. Gabe Davis with a fumble and a drop. Dawson Knox with a drop. Stefan Diggs with a drop. Like those are, we know that those can kill a drive um and if you're not going to have Josh Allen running the ball which i they're making a, a clear effort not to do yes um it's it's really going to limit your offense if everyone else is not efficient with their opportunities and so this team is going to have to determine if they want to use that trump card and run Josh Allen on you know student body right or you know QB power or zone reads because without it i think that they're severely lacking if they can't get any of these other players involved um, and also worth note, there wasn't a single pass caught by a running back, which makes me believe that either they kept them in the entire game to help as personal protectors for Josh Allen, or that he just wasn't he wasn't seeing it, and Bobby Okereke was was too Johnny on the spot with coverage.
1: I, I think I think honestly, it's probably a combination of all of those things. Um, there were times, and if you and again, my my thing is if you can see it on the broadcast, it's a problem. Yeah, and there were mu- a multitude of times where. James Cook was run was flashing out to the flat and had nothing but green space in front of him. I mean the the Stefan Diggs was commanding so much attention this game. Gabe Davis commanding so much attention this game. It's all it almost looked like it points as, as well coached in as great a scheme as Marndale had come up with. It looked like the Giants were like fourth graders on a soccer yeah. field and everybody was just chasing the ball, right? Yeah. Everyone was chasing Diggs and Davis. And so large chunks of the field were open and Again, Josh just, at points, was not seeing Cook available in the flat. And I did the math, 89% of Cook's 140 receiving yards this year have been yards after the catch. Yeah. So he is a yak machine when he you get him the ball in open space. There were a couple of times where Cook had, had Josh swung it out to the flat to him. Probably could have broken this game wide open a lot earlier. But again, it just, Josh wasn't seeing it. Dorsey was have, having a hard time pl- drawing it up. And it just never fully came together. It is the definition of a disjointed effort. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think, too, that the, the Bills on offense, part of the struggles, was the dable, dable helping Martindale's defense in knowing exactly which throwing lanes to to clutter and exactly how to send delayed pressure on Josh Allen right. to throw him off of his spot. Um, speaking of delayed, delayed pressure, do you want to uh, talk about my three observations on defense?
1: Yeah, I would love to.
0: Yeah, so the first one is actually, you know, I guess I'll go bad, bad. good. Um, the first bad is I think that this team is really in trouble because this offense was abysmal, and still they picked on Kyrie Elam. They had Tyrod, Tyrod Taylor, who all Bills fans know as a super elite passer, somebody who needs a guy open to throw throw the ball, um, was picking on Kyrie Elam in the slot a bit. Um, also, picking on Dorian Williams a little bit, but mostly Kyrie Elam. They were, like, scheming ways to get bunches and, and bringing the, the receiving options in close to the line, bringing Kyrie Elam in in motions and things like that. And it was, he was he was getting picked on and kind of, um, he had a number of tackles, and you never want that because that's indicative of, of completions on his coverage, right? So, um, with that, I think that, you know, I don't know that I'm ready or I don't know that I'm, I'm ever going to be a Kyrie Allen believer. I think that I've seen enough so far to, to know that he might not have it. And I think he, uh, you know, it, the the NFL bloodlines or whatever argument was made when he was drafted, but his uncle was not actually any at all. Like, <laughs> was barely a special teamer teamer for the Jets. Right. Like I think his like one famous moment was intercepting and pick sixing one of the bills trash quarterbacks during the drought. You know, so I just don't know, I don't know. Elam just looks like he's not he's not it. I'm 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 not ready to write the book. Give me two more starting games of Elam playing like this and I will say he's a 100% bust.
1: I I want to and keeping our own receipts here. I want to remind you that we asked for this, my friend. We we were aware is Elam? Why why, these guys can take Jamarcus Ingram off the UDFA list and they can't coach up this kid with this, these elite traits and this elite football heritage. What the hell is wrong with this coaching staff? And now we're like, bust. We're like, bust.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like you can call me out on that all day. Like I wondered where he was. And and now I like, I owe McDermott an apology. Oh, I get it. I get why, where he was like, I I, know why he was inactive.
1: I, I appreciate, I appreciate the take. I do. And. As I was watching that game, I w- I was thinking to myself, would it be so bad to give up a first and a fourth for Pat Sertan and just right. figure out the salary thing? Uh, would it be later. that bad? We'll, would it be? Whoever we need to cut. Yeah. That all that will, will we'll cut Josh. Just bring, brick in Pat Sertan, oh. right? Yeah, I don't know. No, don't cut Josh. Don't no. Josh. Um, but I, I mean, try,
0: you know, maybe if, if the Broncos wanted to take a flyer on Ky- Kyrie Elam, we traded him a one and a four for Sertan, like.
1: I don't know. I I'm not I'm not there yet. It it's the, it's the kid's first meaningful action. The first game that he was called into duty for was that bizarre London game where no one on that Bills team other than AJ Apaneza seemed to be awake to play. Then you come back to this primetime game against yes an inferior opponent, but against a backup QB who had, there's not a lot of a uh, lot of not a lot of film on him from this season because he hasn't played any meaningful ball. That weird level of almost division like familiarity. I mean, I, I think two games, granted, he's been bad. Like he's been I, he has objectively been bad, but he has gotten better towards the end of both of these games. And I think he played well into the fourth quarter because he started to adapt to what the Giants were trying to do. Does, does, does he need to prove more? Absolutely. But I'm not yet ready to give up on the dream. Our, our dream JJ of Kyir Elam being the one that we can pass the torch to after Trey White has, has hung up his cleats. Okay. And I, I honestly, from a draft capital standpoint, I don't know that the bills can afford to walk away from him unless they get someone absolutely elite in return. When you look at where the cap is headed in the next couple of years, and you look at what the position priorities for the bills are going to be, they they've got some hard questions that they need to answer. And I don't know that you can, as an organization, duff a number one pick, uh, someone who was a number one pick all but two years ago, and move on. I, I don't know that you can be that wasteful at draft capital. I, I really do think, I really do think, he needs more time in the tank.
0: We're we're stuck.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: That's, yeah. I mean that's fine. I have my reactions, but and I'd love to be wrong. I mean this is like me initially, like right after I I think you might have even been the person who called Josh Allen another Tim Tebow, right? Like I did. Oh my you god.
1: Two year Oh my god, into Josh's first full season as a starter. Yeah. The things we set I, if anyone ever uncovers our text <laughs> chain I from know. like 2018 and 2019, else, I, right, access, seriously, yeah. our bill, our bills, mafia bonafides are going yeah. out the window. Yeah. But the thing is, we weren't the only ones with those opinions. Well, I mean, that's that, the that that's,
0: thing. That's why people come to the pod and thank you for listening out there, people. That's um, right. We well, are. We are honest. one of you. We're, two of we're you. Honest, yeah, we're honest and we're critical. And we, we try to come with like reasonable, rational takes on our team. Uh, which brings me to my sec, sec, second observation. I hope Kyrie Eland works out, but I don't think he will. Um, we'll see where that receipt goes. But my second observation is that I think we're seeing how much of a massive, massive um, turn down in efficiency this defensive line is capable of without Daquan Jones. Yeah, We talked about the amazing season he was putting together before he got injured in that Jaguars game. And it is, it, I mean, the proof is in the pudding um, we both anticipated the bills would get over five and a half sacks on even Terod Taylor, and they—they they I think they got two. Like they, had three. They had, they had three. they had three of this game. All—all okay.
1: all came in the first half. The second half of this game was weird, but yeah, yeah. But
0: yeah so so yeah, they had three sacks on Terod Taylor, and um, I think that we saw with Ed Oliver's even with still having high efficiency in his patch rush win rate, Ed Oliver is was doubled more often. He was erased from plays more often because they didn't have to worry about as much um, in the interior of that defensive line when it's Puna Ford and Jordan Phillips, you know, and Tim Settle there, right. as they did when it was Daquan Jones. So basically had to double both Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver, and that's impossible from a number standpoint unless you're keeping it tucked end in. And so, um, you know, I, I'm I think we're seeing that. I think the interior defensive line is struggling a little bit to find its identity in the post-DQ era. And... Um, you know, really hoping that 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 injury can be resolved by playoff. Like, I think J.J. Watt had that a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. He was still in Houston and came back for playoffs. So um, hopefully that, that's the same story and, and we can get DQ back.
1: Yeah, that would be great. I I totally agree with you. His This pace he was on, as you had mentioned, was historic. He was number one in the league. In uh, pass rush win rate for interior defensive linemen, according to ESPN Stats and Info. And he was number three in the league in run stop win rate yeah, as which well. Which just amazing. Just insane. And the, the level of double teams that he ate up, which freed Oliver to win his his one-on-one battles with his quickness. I mean, this game, and sticking with the theme, talking about a throwback to 2002, we were reminded, for as good as Oliver has been this year, without Daquan Jones eating up double teams next to him. Ed Oliver is an undersized defensive tackle who is easy to erase with double teams. Like, it's yep. just, it is what it is. Yeah.
0: And then my final, my final observation, and this is the positive, I think, um, I saw a lot of really good stuff from Dorian Williams. And I think that... you know,
1: Kids for real.
0: Yeah, him getting the start over Terrell Dodson and showing as well as he did, and having the coaching staff when asked about him specifically saying he just needs more snaps, he just needs more experience. That's the same stuff we heard, you know, from uh the coaching staff and heard about the player back in Milano's first year of, of he was sharing time I can't remember the the linebacker he was sharing Ramon Humber. It was Humber, yeah. Yeah. He was sharing time with Ramon Humber to start. It wasn't as much as dramatic of a being thrust into the starting lineup, you know, situation as this is. Um, but he played a few games you know, getting the snap share, and people were starting to talk about how he flew around with his hair on fire, just you know, shutting down everything. Um, And I think that you know what I'm seeing right now. We both questioned the Terrell, Bar- um, Terrell Bernard pick, and we both questioned the Dorian Williams pick. We we're both like, e- like, what are we yeah. doing? Both third rounders. Yeah, what are we both, burning yeah. these third rounders on? Like, like linebackers built like safeties. This seems like an error. It seems like we're wasting a premium draft pick. Where's our you know, offensive line help. Where's our wide receiver help? I don't know. I still think we need offensive line and wide receiver help, but they're picking linebackers who play like this. I'm okay with it,
1: dude. These guys are fast. They are. Fa- I mean, and Milano plays fast, and I think Williams may play faster. He than He plays him,
0: faster than Milano, and I think which that, is crazy. Well, and at times because he's so young, and this is this is different from Kyrie Elam. I think that you can see the youth in Dorian Williams play in ways where he is flowing too hard in certain directions and gets taken advantage of yeah and but he tends to correct himself series to series which is the difference i think that's the big difference you don't see him make repeated mistakes in the same game often
1: I was I was texting with a, another Bills fan during that game. How dare you? I I'm sorry. Listen, I know, <laughs> I know. I've I've admitted to my infidelity now in no. public. I apologize. Yeah. But I was texting with another Bills fr- Bills fan friend of mine, and I described Dorian Williams as having fearless instinctiveness. Okay, his yeah. his ability to read plays as they develop and act so quickly is 85% of the time a good thing. That other 15%. Teams tend to, to see what he's doing and lean into that and bait him a little bit, but he course corrects so quickly. And I think, again, the Elam comparison is great because unlike Elam, he never doubts his physical gifts and the, his ability to use those gifts to shut down plays, whereas I think Elam does a lot of times. I think Elam is just, and again, I don't know if it's a product of coaching or what, but he's so in his own head about his spot in the scheme and what he needs to do I mean, he, he is the better athlete and he is the more, he is the superior athlete against almost anyone he's going to line up against. And sometimes being better just wins in this league. And I think if I were to say anything to Elam, I'd be like, just remember that, you know what I mean? And the scheme stuff will come, but, but I think as we have. We've maligned Bill's coaching. We've got, to, we've got to throw some roses to Bobby Babbage, our linebacker's yes. coach, for yeah. what he has done to get Bernard ready to run that, to run a brand new McDermott defense, and what he's done to get next man up and Dorian Williams ready to play, too. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, and Babbage is considered across the league to be the next great young defensive mind up and coming in the league, and you're starting to see it with the way he coaches this unit.
0: Well, and I think that you know you can also throw some throw some of those laurels on uh, on Brandon Bean for identifying underside line undersized linebackers who don't seem to have it all together, who have this knack for stepping it up in the the next level and being better NFL players than they were college talents. Because I think that everybody saw Milano Bernard and even Williams in this case as like cool projects who are that kind of safety linebacker hybrid but I don't think anybody anticipated them having like the impact plays that they have. I think there was a number of times in that giants game where both Williams and Bernard were filling at the point of attack. And if they weren't getting the tackle themselves, they were spilling, you know, Saquon Barkley out around the edge, which is their job to do. And it was really nice.
1: Yep. I agree. I agree. Um, And, and I think that's a great positive note to end this on JJ. I think, listen, This was a, this was a bit of a regression in a, in a lot of ways that we have both highlighted for the Buffalo Bills, um, but explainable. And again, the problems are clear and solvable. And I think at the end of the day, a win is a win. Not everybody coming out of week six, not a lot of these elite teams who played can claim the same. Philly went down to the New Jersey jets, um. The Browns, which might, might have the scariest defense in the league, which we've been saying pretty consistently all season, uh played a great game against the Niners with a little bit of help from the weather. Lots of good teams struggled this week. We were we should just count ourselves lucky that the Bills came out with a win because if they had, not they would be losing the tiebreaker currently to the New Jersey Jets and out of the playoff picture at three and three this early in the season. So yeah,
0: they pulled it out and. and... No, I you wanna s on a high uh-huh, note. I just have to say we were on every single one of our predictions. Of so, course we were, because uh... this game made
1: no freaking sense, JJ. <laughs> this game made no sense. <laughs>
0: we both expected the Bills to win by like twenty plus points. You know, and it was not it was not that at all. We expected the Bills to get five 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 or more sacks. Nope. James Cook over nineteen and a half touches, which has been your thing. Um I was right on that one actually. I said under. Um, he had 14 touches. Yeah. And, and guess, that, guess
1: what? I'm going to do for the Patriots pregame for one of my props. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you'll have to, you know, people have to stay tuned for that one. Um, And then, you know, I expected Khalil Shakur to have a bunch of catches, and he had one catch. So well, let's. Yeah. But that that's that's
1: not. I mean, that's not a low note. Like we're mm-hmm. we are wrong. That is a. That we is a feature, wrong. not a bug of yes. this pod. This is why people <laughs> listen to us. So, that's absolutely so, true. so I think that's a, a perfect note to end okay. on, my friend. Absolutely. Keep our own receipts. So for all of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Google, Apple, and Spotify. And um, oh, quick note before I say go Bills. Format change. We are now we are now recording twice a week for you loyal listeners at home. So this is our post game wrap up of the New Jersey Giants game. Tune in, uh, tune in this Saturday our normal pod drop date for our pre game against the New England Patriots. And as always, go Bills.
0: Go Bills.